You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Bible 2020 with Fiona Stewart, Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Well, hello and welcome to the Christmas episode of The Outspoken Bible. I'm really going for it in terms of excitement. (laughs) Christmas is nearly here, people. Welcome, Neil. Welcome, Jen. Welcome, Fiona. Hello, Fiona. Are you excited about Christmas coming this year? I do like Christmas very much. And yeah. I think the th- things I like about it are the simple things that won't be lost because of COVID. So maybe I'm on a bit of a win there. I, I enjoyed, some people were putting up saying, this year I'm not going to mind if the Christmas trees uh, go up really early this year. And uh, so we put ours up, we put up wreaths up quite early, we put lights up early. I think, yes, yeah, someone really enjoyed about getting into it uh, this mm-hmm. year. Yeah. yeah, well, actually, and to be honest, for me, there's been a bit more time than there usually yeah. is. I'm mm-hmm. usually running around doing a lot of yeah. Christmas events and actually not managing to really appreciate either the, yeah. the kind of festivities or the or the, 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 the deeper stuff about, mm-hmm. about uh, Christmas because it all gets a bit frantic. So there's been an, an element of that that's mm-hmm. good. On that subject, you, you are both people whose jobs involve communicating about Christmas, um, whether that's Christmas services, schoolwork, gen, um, youth work settings. How do you keep that fresh every year? And is there anything that the the verses we've we've looked into? Is there anything there that that speaks into some of that? It, well, I mean, I think every year I'm just astounded that I, I've never come to Christmas and thought, "Oh no, it's this story again." I don't know about you, Neil, but that I, that's never happened because it is an incredible story. And, and this year, you know, I, I've been struck that this is a story of people in very difficult circumstances and far more difficult than what I find myself in. Um, So it's a story that constantly resonates with real life. And the fact that God became one of us is just, how could I ever, if I ever thought that wasn't worth celebrating and taking time to think about, then I've stopped living, I would think. It's, it, I'm always slightly anxious because as I come to it, I think, oh, because normally you've got about seven talks to do something like that, maybe seven or eight by the time you include various watch night services and uh, school assemblies and so on. And I think firstly, you do a bit of work. You have to commit yourself to, to, to reading, to seeing what other people have got there. You have to think about the context. So this year I've thought a lot about how... Um, not the whole thing about Christmas isn't going to be cancelled or people worried about preserving this perfect idea of Christmas mm. and relating it to actually the fact that the, the original Christmas story itself is incredibly disruptive. Yeah. It's full of people having their plans ruined uh, mm-hmm. and that that having Christmas ruined is somehow truer to the the spirit of Christmas than having a perfect Christmas. Yeah. Um, and and But each year there is always still the joy that so far... I've managed to get to Christmas feeling that I was able to think about things in an original, energetic way. Um, and it's a story that just yields so much in terms of the the treasures that it has, the different angles, and the overall the mystery and wonder of, of God being flesh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I've discovered over the years that Advent really matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a trite phrase, and if you do Advent well, then... You, you'll do Christmas well. But mm-hmm. it's true, but we're given Advent to prepare mm-hmm. and to think and um, to build up, to celebrate. I think we need that space, as Neil's described, to do the wondering, just like Mary did, of course. I don't know if that's yes. in one of our readings, but it is. Yeah. her pondering. Yeah. 
Yeah, the pondering it is. Yeah, and and actually, I was just saying to you beforehand, it, it, as I feel this year, I've been much more aware of the Book of Isaiah than I ever have. Now, don't get me wrong, I do understand that there are there are elements of of Isaiah, and I would pick out key chapters, you know, chapter nine and all that sort of stuff. But this year, I feel as though I've been in Isaiah for mm. weeks in the lead up to Advent, and I think that's been really helpful because it's given that sense of awaiting the disruption. Neil, what you just said there about you know Christmas is disruptive so important isn't it for us to remember that yeah and particularly um so people uh, biblical scholars often divide the book of isaiah into probably three parts um normally uh something like isaiah 1 to 39 which speaks to the the time that the israelites were um were a nation under kings isaiah 40 to 55 when they're in exile and uh, isaiah 55 through to the end of the book where um, there's a, there's an even later context, and you can argue about whether there's there's an original Isaiah and then one of Isaiah's disciples writes within the spirit of Isaiah uh, later on, or whether Isaiah himself is is simply so prophetic that he's speaking to these these different times. But but a lo- what strikes me is that um, many of our favourite passages of Isaiah actually probably belong to Isaiah forty to fifty five, particularly the the servant songs, uh, comfort, comfort, oh my people, or um, those who um, wait on the Lord will renew their strength; they'll rise up in wings like eagles. Or Isaiah fifty three, the suffering servant. But actually, Christmas, the the most probably popular Christmas passages come right from the early part of Isaiah, and they're the ones where Isaiah, in the context of a country that's no longer working, um, where corrupt rulers are in charge, where people have fallen in love with false gods, where the early uh, promise of Israel is draining away, Isaiah articulates a hope that is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years away from him and, and, and almost bursts the bubble of gloom to say it, something's going to happen. So Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, the root of Jesse, the perfect counsellor. For me, I keep hearing those words through the music of the of a Messiah, wonderful counsellor, Prince of Peace. Um, th- there is something incredibly bold about Isaiah's prophesying. And it's no surprise, I think, the early Celts used to refer to Isaiah sometimes as the fifth gospel, this, this mm-hmm. book of promise. Um, you know, in Ocius verse, the, the, the virgin or shall give birth to a son, you know, and it, it occurs yeah. in Isaiah 7, verse 14, mm-hmm. right in the middle of a seemingly innocuous story about political alliances. Mm-hmm. And, and there it is in such a huge verse um, for, for understanding Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 was in the readings that we read mm-hmm. in Bible 2020. And I had to do a lot of pondering in that one because it was so beautiful. You know, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And I ha- you know, I could see, imagine a, this brand new baby, you know, completely dependent, unable to do very much. But in Jesus, he has everything that, because he is God, so everything that makes him God is in that baby. You know, the wisdom, the understanding, the counsel, the might, the knowledge, the fear of the Lord. It's in that that tiny wee baby and maybe it was particularly pertinent because, you know, the way this year's been, we've been cut off from other generations. But I, I, we have been, haven't we? There's, there's been a divide. And a couple in our church family had a baby a few weeks ago and we've only seen him over Zoom. And, and looking looking at him on Zoom, I just, I felt very emotional. I thought I was going to cry and I don't cry very much. But that, and so I was struck with that image of seeing Isaac, the baby that I was talking about, but thinking about that being Jesus with fully God in this tiny wee 
body so dependent on his parents. The Spirit of the Lord will be with him and give him understanding, wisdom and insight. He will be powerful and he will know and honour the Lord. I think, I think pondering is such a, a, a yeah, lovely, a beautiful so, part of the uh, Christmas story. Yeah. It's built into to Mary, um, the, the John Gospel, John's passage, which we begin with, um, where he was in the world and that fabulous famous prologue of John um, where he begins to ponder what Christmas means um, that even the, the thought of the, the angels you know uh, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to God's uh, all those in whom God's favours rest which by the way is is the um, is the Bible verse most quoted in Christmas carols I, I do know this good fact good yeah, knowledge. yeah I, I know this because um, I I once did an analysis of Christmas carols because I was I was becoming vexed by the kind of sentimentalization of senti- sentimentality of Christmas carols that you get uh, the most egregious uh, offender in my view and uh, and and this is hard because I love the tune is in the bleak midwinter. Oh yeah. yeah. Um but, oh yeah. I mean we talk about you know there's no snow and all the rest and you know snow what... and snow snow and snow that's just weak rhymes. But anyway sorry carry on. Yeah yeah I mean you can say it's bringing it into the culture. But the one that really gets me is the verse where it says angels and archangels may have gathered there um it was a cherubim and seraphim may have thronged the air but only the child's mother in her maiden bliss worshiped the beloved with a kiss. The idea that that you know a whole verse devoted to the whole idea that the only person that got to kiss Jesus was was Mary and and the idea is somehow that that it's not stated but the, the implication seems to be that all these archangels and serpents are desperate to kiss Jesus and and Mary's kind of going no it's only me that gets to do this so there are, yeah. there is one thing but, I think that the Christmas carols get wrong and there's one thing I think they get right and the the thing I think the Christmas carols get wrong is they over sentimentalize so they downplay the the, the humanity of Jesus, no crying he makes, silently or silently, um, to try and create that sense of, of wonder. And and they, they generally don't go into the difficult parts of the story. So there's not many Christmas carols written about um, Herod yeah. um, slow, uh, killing the children in Bethlehem. Um, Unto us a child is born has it, but there's not many others. Um, but the thing they do get right, and I would argue, is that they do often reflect that Jesus comes to save us. And I used to think that was an alien imposition on the story. I just thought it was a headlong rush to Easter. Can we not stay in Christmas for a wee bit? But actually, if you look at the the biblical text and we see them here and we see it in Paul reflecting on in Galatians on Jesus born of a woman, is that mm-hmm. they are always pondering what does this mean yeah. in terms of the one who has come to to rescue us, to save yeah. us. So that, that is very true to the yeah. telling of the story. And, and what this range of verses that we've been reading, they do that very well. There's a a strong sense of the physical reality of what's going on and the very real situation with the real people whose lives, as you said, Neil, are being disrupted and changed forever because of what they've been asked to do and what's going to happen to them and people, shepherds and hills and everything. But the other verses we read give that perspective of the, I don't know, the 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 universe, the you know, the beyond. Yeah what we know as reality, the spiritual dimension of what's happening here and what's what God's doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I find that because I had to sit for quite a long time in these verses because I've, I've written this audio drama um, to go alongside uh, the readings. And there were, I have to say, they have to confess, there were points at the beginning where I was like, why are we sitting in these in these epistles yeah. at the beginning? We need to cut to the chase. We need to get to the birth itself or at least the Annunciation. But but the 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 process of doing that was, was actually hugely, hugely interesting and helpful. Because it, it did make me think about pondering. It made me think about, you know, Anna is pondering and Simeon is pondering and Isaiah is pondering. Paul is pondering. I am pondering. You know, I think I think the word is, is really apposite, isn't it? Um, and I think um, just for me, there was, there, there was something of the bringing together of, of the prophecies right back, the reality of the story, but then also the interpretation that we find in the epistles. So, so you know, when in Ephesians, Paul talks about the, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ and that... And that predestination adoption into into sonship that that has come as part of this this narrative so yeah so i actually find it really interesting to sit and ponder this year um within those verses sorry no you were going to say something well no we do we were getting we were getting slightly vexed weren't we by the that carol mary did you know or that new song mary did you know one day walk on water that's you to come in Fiona. I'm just thinking about whether she would have known that. Well, I could have pondered the the likelihood of that. Did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Yes. Yeah. Uh, did you know that your baby boy had come to meet you new? Yes, I could have worked that out too. Uh, did you know that the child you delivered will soon deliver you? Yeah, again, kind of prophesied. Yeah, you, you did a song about that, didn't you? <laughs> did you know he'd give sight to a blind man? Again, not the specifics, but I had some sense that there was something special about this baby. Cam a storm with his hand? Again, refer you to the above. Did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Yeah, pretty much knew that. That's revealed. Yeah, that one's revealed. And we also knew it from In the Bleak Bird Winter. <laughs> <laughs> and when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Did you know that? Did you know that? Yeah, I knew that too. Knew that too. I think you'll find that reflected in the song that I've already written. <laughs> I wish we had a record of Jesus' conversations with his mum as a child. Uh, yeah, the only one we have is when he's arguing with her. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's because he's turning from being oh, a child so to an yeah. adult, isn't it? Yeah. What does it mean when it says he grew up <laughs> in wisdom and stature? You know, what, what, what happened? I know. Does it mean he always got 100% in maths? Did it mean he was annoying? Because mm. he was so good. I've come to the conclusion that, that he couldn't have been annoying. And it because that, that would isn't make that God our definition of goodness. <laughs> that, I exactly. think that's our definition yeah. of goodness that we we see goodness mm -hmm. as being about people who win. Maybe there's a child. Yeah, yeah. As a child, he'd have been the same as he was as an adult. People wanted to be with him. Yeah, because he was good. And, but there's there's also this really thing good. that when he preaches in Nazareth in his hometown, people are astounded. Going, is this the the son of the carp mm. the the son of Mary the carpenter or the son of the carpenter? Mm. Um, you know, people people weren't going, oh, yeah, he was always a bit different, that one. There's like, how can he be doing this? He's one mm. of us. Yeah. 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 That's very interesting, isn't it? That, yeah. Maybe because I wonder how much we impose our own personalities onto onto what we don't know of Jesus. That's probably not a very helpful thing to do, is it? Maybe maybe he was very quiet growing up. Yeah. I the, find that hard to understand the, somebody who's not very quiet. There's a famous quote. There was a, there was a whole... Um, there's been several uh, historic and scholarly movements uh, to, to recreate what's called the historic Jesus. So it's people trying to create all the history around Jesus. And there's a, 
biblical scholars argue about which which things that we read about Jesus were 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 later interpretations by the by the church. Um, but uh, scholars uh, often try to dig away uh, and try to find the real uh, Jesus. But as you say, quite often what they seem to do is find a Jesus who's remarkably like them. And uh, one of the one of the criticisms was of these historical Jesus scholars was they they peered down the well of two thousand years of Christian history, and what did they see? Their own reflection. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and you can you can spread that out, isn't it? And into even how we portray Jesus, even the even the visual representation of Jesus. That's something I think this year people are thinking about quite a lot. That Jesus was a Middle Eastern looking person yeah. he was not a white he was not a white baby in a in a neat stable which um i had an interesting insight recently with with someone who works a lot with refugees and we were pondering the the meaning of the gifts of the wise men the the gold the frankincense and the myrrh and that we'd been reading through a commentary which was suggesting that this was to do with the temple and a and that what was happening was that Jesus was being unveiled as, as the new temple. You no longer had the gold of the temple, or the myrrh of the temple, the frankincense of the, myrrh of the temple. It was now Jesus who was the true temple. And we went in all these kind of readings, and I, I think there's truth to some of those readings. But the person said, I read this as someone who works with refugees, and this is a refugee story. This is a story about a bunch of people who are going to have to leave their homeland. And when you are a refugee... Sometimes what you need to take with you are the most precious things that you own because you know that where you're going, yeah, you're going you're to need do. to sell them in order to survive in your home country. And so yeah. she saw this as just the perfect gift to a family who are about to become refugees. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about that quite a lot, just particularly in terms of the gold. Yeah. What happened to the gold? Because yeah. we, you know, we quite often think of Jesus mm. as as growing up in a very in quite humble circumstances, mm. refugee, etc. I, I think I think undoubtedly that's what happened yeah. to the gold. And, and a wee recommendation for folk who are maybe uh, wanting to tell the Christmas story from a different angle, but maybe a very biblically accurate angle is um, the Lost Sheep series of books by Andrew McCarthy. I might have got his second name wrong. He's an Australian, but he's written a wee book called Jesus Was a Refugee. And it's the story of um, Mary Joseph and Jesus. Uh, that that for book Egypt. is brilliant. It is so good. There's, yeah. a, there's all sorts of subtle bits in it, like... Um, when he plays, is there something about when he plays? Oh, there are no boys there, or something, because they were all. That's right. In the village, where he, yeah, when he yeah. comes back, is that right? Mm. Yeah, he's the only one his age, only boy his age, and you can you can get it as a book. You can get it as a PowerPoint download. You just pay a, a very reasonable subscription. It's a it's a really worthwhile story to tell. Yeah, there, very well a, done. There's a there's a brilliant bit. Sorry, I I just loved it. It's so subtle. There's a brilliant bit where. Um, the, an immigration officer tries to catch Jesus out because there are two slightly different versions of the family tree in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. And <laughs> it's it just so reminiscent of how people are, are attempted to be caught out and it puts Jesus into that position. So that's Jesus. Jesus was a refugee and it's by Andrew McDonough. Yeah, that's his name. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, the, his website's called Lost Sheep. There's a, he's done a whole range of stories of Jesus and Old Testament stories as well interesting so many so many things when you start to delve down into them mm. you, you, you that we're very quick to take the christmas carol reading or we're quick to take the 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 retold story reading without really delving down when you start thinking about about some of those things so it was great that the anna and simeon passages were in our set of readings because they're 
not often yeah. included in our Christmas retelling yeah. of the story. I, yeah, because we were talking even about, you know, how would they know when this, this couple, this, you know, <laughs> young woman, most likely, with a baby turn up at the temple? How do they know? Yeah. There is that that lovely thing that that Christmas is open to the people who are kind of open to it. Yes. And open to the surprise of it. Um, And the people who aren't are Herod, for example, uh, who who has very fixed ideas about who this king is and sees the king as threat. And and also it's it's older people who very often get it, Simeon and Anna. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Zechariah yeah. and Elizabeth. And they'd been doing a lot yeah. of waiting and pondering, mm-hmm. hadn't they? For years and yeah. years and years. Worshipping God, waiting. Yeah, and, and I think that speaks to power as well, doesn't it? So Herod Herod mm-hmm. there's a threat to his power hold. And and so therefore he we don't we don't know whether he chooses not to engage or whether he just shuts down shuts down the problem before it becomes a problem. But there's a sense that he's threatened by the birth of Jesus, whereas I think for people who are of a more humble disposition. So you think about the shepherds on the field, or you think about Anna and Simeon, the, the, there's an openness to maybe a need for God, an openness. Yeah, that's a really important point. So there's a there's quite a strong body of research that, that says that um, Mary, and by implication Joseph, belonged to a sect within Judaism who are called the Anawim. Uh, the Anawim were, literally means the poor ones. And uh, they they emphasize precisely the thing that you've just said, that life was about a constant reliance on God and mm-hmm. finding one's all sufficiency in God and not looking to to pride and not looking to getting ahead. It was that. And um, here the, the scholars, for example, have found one of the Anawim hymns. They found this as part of what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And um, it says... Uh, O Lord, you have rescued the soul of the poor one and the needy against the one who is stronger than he. You have redeemed my soul from the hand of the mighty. That's an old hymn that used to be sung by the Anawim. And it's very similar in its thought to Mary's song, The Magnificat. Yeah. Yeah. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And, and is that something about why Anna and Simeon recognised yeah. Jesus? Uh-huh. Because they saw in the weakness and the insignificance of a baby with a poor young parents that this was the one. It, it wasn't the, the powerful, yeah. expected form of God being present or God coming yeah. to his people. Yeah. Because it, there's a certain kind of older adult person who recognises children <laughs> as another type of person who dismisses yeah. them. Yeah. And ignores I think that's I think that's right. I think that's right. But <laughs> I, I also think because I've reflected a bit on on that idea of what it means to look in the face of God in, in that baby. Mm. That that yes, Jesus is is fully human, but but there is also the fact that he's fully divine, and we we see that in in some of the readings that we we, we have there, and some of the the pondering and the making sense of it. 
so yes, there's something I think in in the recognition of of a baby and taking the time to do that. But there surely there must have been something about this baby. Well, well, that that's the back to that Isaiah eleven. The spirit of the Lord will rest mm-hmm. on him, which is even recognizable yeah. in his well, before he was born and when he was born. And spiritual spiritual recognition. So I think this happens now. I think I think you can you can sometimes um, see something of the spirit of God in someone, can't you? Um, but you need to have the eyes to see that, really. Yeah. yeah. So you get, it's interesting, isn't it? You get that in the in the Christmas story quite a lot of times. You get it with uh, John the Baptist jumping in the womb mm-hmm. when near Jesus. There's that yeah. spiritual sense, and it's not rational. You get mm-hmm. the sense that the the shepherds had seen something, and and maybe it was simply that you know there was a baby in swaddling bands in a manger it was simply about jesus's sleeping arrangements that was the only thing but maybe there was something more there was a presence there maybe some of those stables you know where the the baby is slightly glowing maybe what they're trying to capture artistically is that sense <laughs> Simeon and anna have it and then the the wise men have it and and they bow down and worship mm-hmm. which i think is the first time in the scriptures that the divinity of Jesus is is made explicit in in that sort of a way. Um, the um, yeah, sometimes people say that um, the the divinity of Jesus uh, that Jesus was God was a kind of later addition, but it's right here mm-hmm. in in some of the earliest stories. Yeah. Um, you can Matthew argue that Matthew was written uh, down later on, but if it comes from an earlier source, then. Certainly, it's in the church's thinking that that Jesus is one that you would you would worship, and the first commandment says you you're only allowed to worship God, so Jesus mm-hmm. must be God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right, Fiona. There must there must have been something about the recognizable in him that he mm-hmm. was God. There's, I, I mm-hmm. don't doubt that. Yeah. But but I think the thing I've been more aware of this year, particularly through reading through these readings as well, is 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 the 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 part that other people around him have to play in that. So. So the yeah. the, res- the receptivity, the the openness, um, that yeah, that, that's that's fascinating. What you talked about there, Neil. Yeah, the, the the whole one of the whole mysteries of this story is that God demands and enlists co-conspirators, from Zechariah to uh, Mary. Above all, is the ultimate co-conspirator. There is a a sense in which she is is asked a question. And it's not quite as simple as "Will you do this, Mary?" It, it's it's you. She's told it's going to happen, but she's given space to agree to it. I think might be yeah. the best way of phrasing it. But there is a a sense that God God could have done it remotely. God could have simply told the the shepherds that he was come down, but he wants them to come and leave their their flocks. There's something about that. There's something about the fact that God wants these magi to go on this two-hour, two-hour, two-year journey. Um, God seems to want to bring something of ourselves into it. It was interesting. You were asking, you know, what's it like every year um, having to tell the Christmas story? And one of the things you know that hopefully you're doing it well is when you're bringing something of yourself into the telling of the story. You can't just go and get... You know, I changed church uh, three years ago and it was tempting to go and just find the talks that I'd done five years ago mm-hmm. and repeat them because they'd worked previously. But you can't mm-hmm. do that. You've got to bring something of yourself again mm-hmm. into that story to inhabit what Christmas is. You have to give of yourself to it in order that it gives to you. And maybe that's some of the gift of 2020 mm-hmm. to us. 
it, it, is that so much has changed and, and shifted and been taken away that that perhaps there is a a, a resetting of how we we view this story this year yeah 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 mm. well that's really good that's really it. good fiona so it's the high energy <laughs> one i love that <laughs> oh, well done you <laughs> alex neil that's his name anyway you can do that, that there's a reference there that um, before we came on here, um, Fiona had met a, a high-ranking politician in a radio studio green room, and he was explaining what he did. What was it you said? Well done. That's really good. Well done, you. Well done. <laughs> That's, That's really a good, good idea. Well done, you. And, and only when you went on air did you discover he was a senior politician. <laughs> I, I think that's great. More yeah, encouraging. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's probably a, a helpful place to, to leave these readings um, today. Uh, thank you very much again for, for coming in and really pulling this apart and, and helping. Certainly, it really helps me to explore further and to think further and to ponder, which is what we've been talking about. So that has been lovely. Merry Christmas to you both when it comes. Merry Christmas to you, Fiona. Yes. That was, thank you, your uh, expected response there. That's excellent. <laughs> Happy Jen Christmas. and I actually have a little tradition, Neil. I don't know if you knew this, but Jen and I always try and meet in the, a couple of days before Christmas and have lunch together. Oh, do you? Oh. Yeah. Is that back to your canvas lying days? It's quite a, quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. It back yeah. probably about 10 years or so. Last five years. And there was a number of years it kept being interrupted by ill yes, relatives. Jen kept having to take phone calls during Christmas lunch. It was take people to hospital. Yeah, it's all a bit traumatic. Jen, Jen has that effect. Was, uh, Our... Um, the, the waters of our oldest son broke in Jen's <laughs> living room as we were having dinner. No. Yeah. See? Physicality yeah. of birth. That's the details we want. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We have one more podcast to go before the end of the year. We hope you'll join us then for that. And then, of course, into 2021, we will be continuing the Outspoken Bible. And we look forward to more pondering into the year to come. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic.